Hello and welcome to Weathersnap. It's Friday the 14th of October. I'm Claire Nazir and joining me to talk through this week's weather and climate headlines, it's Senior Press Officer and Podcast Climate Correspondent, Graham Madge. Graham, what have we got coming up today? Well, what we're going to be talking about is we're going to be taking a look forwards to COP27 and why the leaves are turning in the area where you live. So do you think they're slow or on time this year, Graham? That's the question that I want really answered. I think they are more or less on time, but mm. there was some issues in the late summer where trees started to lose their leaves, which led some people to think that the fall was starting early, um, but it was actually related to water stress. Oh. So I've been talking to our chums at the Woodland Trust and there's no real evidence for any significant shift but we'll come on to talk about why the different weather patterns can introduce different hues into the foliage. I love talking about leaves in autumn I really do but anyway more about that in a little while let's just crack on with the the top headline today. It's all about Australia they've had persistent heavy rainfall which has brought major flooding across Victoria, Tasmania and New South Wales. Now, the Bureau of Meteorology last update, which was just earlier today, talks of record flooding. Thousands of people across three states were asked to evacuate their homes in the last 24 hours after two days of incessant rain triggered flash floods. Local authorities expect the situation to only get worse in the next few days. Heavily impacted is the state of Victoria and southern parts of New South Wales, as well as the north of Tasmania, where they are witnessing relentless rain. And according to officials, some regions have seen more than a month's worth of rain since Wednesday. I can't imagine, Graham, can you, how much water? I mean, it's just so devastating. We were talking about the floods in Nepal last week. And, you know, Australia yet again has had another wet spell. Well, sadly, this is a situation that we're becoming increasingly accustomed to, isn't it, with Australia, with images coming forward of uh, climate or extreme weather related events. We've seen, obviously, images of wildfire recently, and we've got pictures coming through of towns underwater in New South Wales, quite harrowing images of emergency services trying to rescue stranded families. And of course, it's important to remember that this isn't the first major flooding that we've seen in Australia this year. If we cast our minds back to March, we were reporting on severe storms across Queensland and New South Wales, and that brought extremely high waters and sadly claimed over 20 lives. And then in July, we were witnessing tens of thousands of residents in Sydney who were asked to evacuate their homes due to flooding. Yes, you're absolutely right. They do seem to switch from one extreme to another. And we did discuss this last week that La Nina has some influence on this part of the world in terms of rainfall. When we see an El Nino, this area, Eastern Australia, tends to be drier However, currently we're in an extensive La Nina and it's pretty much played out textbook style across um, Eastern Australia this year uh, with almost two and a half months to go of 2022. Yet Sydney has recorded 2,200 millimetres of rain so far this year, breaking records that go back to 1858. So a huge amount of wet weather due to La Nina in some part. Um, allowing for this really sort of wet spell just to continue. 
There's also heavy rain across other parts of the world right now. Over the weekend, Tropical Storm Carl will make landfall over Mexico and Tropical Storm Sonka will make landfall over Vietnam. Now, both of these are fairly weak tropical storms, so unlikely to bring sort of significant wind impacts, but they could bring heavy rain and sadly more flooding to these regions. Now, beyond that this weekend, the main threat is from a slowly developing tropical depression east of the Philippines, which has yet to receive an international name. This depression is likely to consolidate into a tropical storm and pass just to the north of the Philippines before possibly becoming a typhoon in the South China Sea next week. In the longer term, there's a growing signal for a cyclone to develop in the Bay of Bengal by late next week. Obviously, we'll keep you posted here on all those events as they happen on WeatherSnap. And thank you very much to Julian Hemming for that update. Check out his Met Office Storm Twitter feed with the latest updates. So, Graham, tell me this. It's wet there. It's been wet in Australia. Obviously, it's the hurricane season still across the Caribbean. What's the weather doing in Sharm el-Sheikh over the next few weeks, Sharm el-Sheikh in Egypt? Well, that's a very interesting question, Claire, because obviously global attention will be focusing on Sharm el-Sheikh in the run-up to the uh, COP27 event, which takes place actually next month. It's going to be sunny. We're going to be looking at temperatures uh, of around about 30 degrees. Um, And I'm sure many are checking out the forecast ahead of this big global gathering with tens of thousands of people in attendance. Okay, so we were at COP26 together where it was a cold and wet Glasgow and uh, an incredible event to, to witness, let alone take part in. Let's just backtrack a little bit, though, Graham. First of all, tell me what COP stands for. COP stands for Conference of the Parties, and this is an annual series of events which take place as climate conferences where sometimes world leaders, but certainly decision makers, come together along with climate scientists to begin to try to make changes in the progression of climate change. So this is really the biggest event in climate science calendar. And obviously, as we go forward, becoming important one as um, the situation with climate change becomes ever more urgent. Okay, so every year, every time there is a COP, there are themes around it. And obviously, there's a continuity from the last COP, which was in, in Glasgow. What are the themes this time? Well, one of the main things, Claire, is the fact that decision makers will be trying to build on the great efforts that were made at COP26 in Glasgow. So we left the COP there. Uh, Huge progress was made, but there is still quite a lot of things which need addressing and tying up. And also we need to see, uh, really, we need to see even more ambition building on the good work from there. I think, you know, there will all be all sorts of things that will be discussed at COP. But the things that catch my eye is really looking at the 1.5 question. So that is something I think that we'll be hearing a lot more about. What does 1.5 degree rise in temperatures look like? Is that still an achievable aspiration coming out of the Paris COP back in 2015? That's certainly something that will grab the headlines. There's also looking at adaptation. So You know, we've been focusing for years on the fact, can we keep global temperatures down to a certain threshold? 
we know that temperatures are rising and will continue to rise. So therefore, that puts the whole adaptation agenda on the table. And that will be an increasingly important part of future COPs as we have to learn how to adapt to the climate change that's already locked into the system. And fitting that COP27 is in Africa, where there are millions of rural communities living on the front lines of climate change, where their greenhouse gas emissions are negligible. And, you know, we hear about it all the time, whether it's too much rain or not enough rain or the drought across eastern parts of Africa. I mean, it is really it's one thing or another. So fitting that it's there and all eyes are on Africa. And I know one of the themes is about adaptation and Africa and supporting uh, communities across the continent. The Glasgow Pact was something that was signed by almost 200 countries back in COP26. And this links to 1.5. Yes, indeed. I mean, we know that we need to to build on the huge efforts that were made in Glasgow. And it will be testimony to the success of the Egyptian delegation and all of those involved, whether they can actually be building upon the good work that was done in Glasgow. I was looking at dates, and it's interesting to note that we had the Paris Agreement back in 2015. We know that we're going to have to cut emissions drastically by 2030. And actually, where we are now in 2022, we're actually on the midpoint of that timeline. So we don't have long left to reach meaningful negotiations to reach the sort of level of emissions cuts that we're going to need if we are going to avert the worst climate impacts that come with uh, temperatures above 1.5. So it'll be fascinating to see how the decision makers grapple with that challenge now that the clock is ticking ever more loudly. Yes, critical times really as we accelerate towards 2030 and uh, a nod to World Food Day on Sunday the 16th of October where again the top line there is eradicating world hunger by 2030 and again the same issue is that you know the amount of people malnourished and hungry in the world is going up year on year at the moment so just massive efforts and obviously partnership and collaboration are really key. Okay um, before we talk about autumn here in the UK let's first of all turn our attention to the forecast for the next few days and whilst those attending COP27 will probably see dry and sunny weather as it has been across these parts for a while that's Sharma Sheikh The weather across the UK has been decidedly frustrating to forecast. I've been calling it changeable, a messy picture, tricky detail to pin down. You know, I really, I mean, it's been quite a a hard one to actually get right, particularly if you're presenting, you have one minute to 10 to talk about the whole of the UK for the next two days. However, someone who does this so well is our very own Alex Deacon, and he's going to add some clarity to the forecast into the weekend. The changeable and fairly typical October fair continues. We are going to see Sunday being the drier and the brighter day of the two this weekend, with Saturday basically a mixture of sunshine and showers. Some pretty lively downpours around on Saturday too, particularly over parts of northern England and Scotland's early doors, but they should move away. And then with westerly breezes picking up and getting quite gusty on west-facing coast, it's going to be a lively day with much of the east seeing some good spells of sunshine, plenty of showers interspersed with sunny spells further west. 
Temperatures, a bit of a north-south divide with southern areas generally a touch above average, 16 or 17 when the sun pops out. Uh, further north, we're looking at 10 to 12 and feeling quite fresh in that brisk wind. The winds will tend to ease a little bit as we go through Saturday night. Still lots of showers across northern Britain. The showers in the south, though, easing during Saturday evening. So many places across the southern half of England and Wales becoming dry and clear. So a chilly start to Sunday, but overall a fine day with the showers across northern England, northern Ireland fading. And even across Scotland, the showers becoming few and far between by the afternoon. So Sunday generally dry and bright with temperatures again, 16, 17 in the south, 11 or 12 further north. But down to the southwest developments, an area of low pressure is intensifying that will spread some wet weather towards Northern Ireland, West Wales by Sunday evening and that wet and windy weather becoming more widespread on Sunday nights. After that, high pressure could build back in. So this chopping and changing weather pattern likely to continue into next week. So it looks like uh, the weather is going to settle down into the middle part of next week. And I love this time of year, Graham. I don't know whether you do. Just stepping out. It's cold. It's crisp. A little bit of mist just hovering in the valley. It's my favourite season, although I probably say that about every season. But I so love the colours um, when they start to turn. And I'm waiting for them to turn where I am right now. So I live in the northwest of England, near Manchester. And they're still pretty much green on the leaves, Graham. What's going on? So when we get to autumn, what happens is the leaves start to lose their colour. And if you look at leaves, I'm going to challenge you to look at leaves in a new light because they're fascinating, they're beautiful. But when you think about them, what they are are nature's solar cells. They're like little factories. And what these leaves do is they trap sunlight and they harvest the energy from that sunlight using the chemical chlorophyll which turns them green and that's what give plants their energy that's why most plants are green because they're reliant on sunlight but what happens at this time of year claire is the the chlorophyll starts to break down especially when we start to get cold conditions and that can allow more of the natural colors of the leaves which the chlorophyll has been masking to actually begin to shine through so the yellows and reds and pinks that we associate with autumn colors actually begin to show through once that chlorophyll has broken down at the end of summer because there's not much more energy in that sunlight for trees and other plants to harvest and that's what starts to turn the leaves all these fantastic colors that we admire looking at in the autumn so some leaves turn red others turn yellow and orange is there any differentiate differentiation between what color the leaf will turn or is that due to species it's partly due to species, but weather has a huge effect. So when you start to get cold temperatures, you get cold nights with temperatures perhaps uh, going below freezing, you can start to see different colours and they'll be perhaps turning to yellow at that point. But if it's slightly milder, more of the chemicals that turn leaves certain colours are produced and then you can start to get the leaves taking on more reddish hues. Situation with dry weather for example, um, leaves tend to turn more red because of the chemicals that are produced. When you get bright sunny days, although the, the production of this chlorophyll stops in autumn, you can still get some sunny autumn days 
and that will increase the sugar concentration because the plant is still trying to make energy and that can produce more of the chemicals which turn the leaves red. So by looking at the colours of the leaves you can rather crudely get an impression of what the previous autumn's broad weather patterns have been like. That's just fascinating isn't it and you know, I don't think autumn is long enough. I mean, meteorologically, it's three months, but you have a sense that there is that lovely transition time from summer to winter, where you get that real diurnal range where it's really lovely warm days and those crisp cold nights. Um, and that extension of the colour, which I want to last, I want it to last for a lot longer than it does. And all it takes is one storm sometimes, isn't it? And bang, all that colour's gone. But hopefully, with Alex's forecast suggesting we'll see some settling down away from the southwest, we will see that extension of the autumn just for a bit longer, hopefully. And certainly where I am here in North Cheshire, East Cheshire, should I say, it's uh, the leaves are still green, Graham. So yet to see what type of autumn's coming up. But thank you for that explanation. That was really interesting. Just finally, though, we had a very hot and dry summer. Does that have an impact on the length of our sort of autumnal colour? It can have all sorts of effects, but probably the one that people will remember from the intense heat of summer is that trees started to lose their leaves quite early. And some people thought that perhaps that was a sign of autumn arriving early. But our friends at the Woodland Trust who monitor all of these autumn and spring phenomena in a project called Nature's Calendar they actually tell me that a lot of the trees were suffering from water stress, which is basically the trees were shedding leaves as a response to the intensity of the dry conditions. And it was really a, a life-saving measure for the trees because they needed to shed the leaves in order to avoid losing even more moisture. And it was actually a, a survival tactic on behalf of the trees trying to make it through to the next season. Yeah, that's fascinating, isn't it? And so we're probably going to get more hot and dry summers. Maybe our trees will adapt uh, and hang on to their leaves for longer as they sort of accept that that's the way they're going. You know, that's the way the weather's going. Um, thanks very much for that, Graham. Really interesting. Uh, great talking about autumn and leaves. Now let's look back to last week and Martin Bowles with the highs and lows. Here are the UK weather extremes for last week recorded between Monday the 3rd and Sunday the 9th of October. The warmest day of the week was Wednesday, when 21.1 degrees Celsius was recorded at Charlesfield in Suffolk. The same figure was also recorded that day at RAF Coningsby in Lincolnshire. The coldest temperature was minus 1.1 degrees, measured at South Newington in Oxfordshire early on Sunday. The largest daily rainfall was 67.0 millimetres, measured at Acknagart in the Scottish Highlands on Tuesday. The longest amount of daily sunshine was 10.3 hours at Shubriness in Essex on Thursday. Thank you, Martin. And now, just before we go, a reminder that the latest episode on our sister channel, Mostly Climate, is now out. In this show, Dr Doug McNeil talks to Dr Rosie Oakes and Hamish Steptoe about their trip to Nepal and why too much rain but also too little rain can massively disrupt hydropower generation across the country. It's a really interesting chat where they discuss what it's like to be within one of these huge engineering structures. It's a great listen and you can catch that in, in all the normal ways. 
So that's it for WeatherSnap. My thanks go to Graham Madge. Good to have you on, Graham. Lovely to talk to you. I'm Claire Nazir. I hope you've enjoyed the show and I'll see you again next week. WeatherSnap is a podcast by the UK Met Office. For the latest weather conditions where you are, download the Met Office weather app.